This is the Simi Sarah Show On Demand. Subscribe now on iTunes. Listen to the show each weekday 10 to 2 on 980 CKNW and through the Radio Player app. The war on drugs. Well, that has been the theme of how the United States deals with drugs for the last, what, 40 years or so. But the opioid overdose crisis that has impacted us here is also having a dramatic impact in that country. So much so that some jurisdictions are kind of grappling with the idea of actually changing the entire approach to drugs. I mean, drug overdoses killed almost 70,000 people last year in the United States. That is a huge number. Just south of us in Seattle, they're trying a different approach. And it's a lot of it has to do with our next guest. His name is Dan Satterberg. He is a prosecutor in King County, and he has essentially changed how his entire office deals with people who have drug addiction and have, you know, who are busted essentially with drugs. And there's a lot of history associated with this as well. So we recently had a chance to talk to Dan about how this all got started and where his inspiration and thinking came from. Well, Dan, thank you uh, for joining us today to talk about this. When did your attention first get drawn to this particular issue of opioid overdoses? Well, first, I need to tell you, I've been in the prosecutor's office here in Seattle for 35 years. And so as a young attorney, I was part of the first war on drugs, if you will, when crack cocaine came to town in the late 1980s. So I've been following uh, the intersection of the criminal legal system and, and substance abuse for many decades. Uh, and, you know, we've been hit hard here, but the truth is that I think Vancouver uh, is the epicenter of yeah. the opioid epidemic of the fentanyl outbreak. And uh, and so a year ago, I, I had the chance to tour the downtown east side of, of Vancouver with uh, some people who really had um, built up some support systems for the people who were most affected with Liz Evans, who started the Portland Hotel Society and went to the, the uh, drug users union, the Vandu, and went to the Crosstown Clinic where uh, prescription uh, or, you know, pharmaceutical opioids are given out. Went to the Insight uh, mm-hmm. program and uh, overdose prevention society. So that really opened my eyes to what uh, what could the the worst that could happen. Because I have to say I was pretty shocked by what I saw there, but also the humanitarian response that was possible. Right. And so when you saw that kind of aspect of this, that humanitarian response, was that something that you wanted to take with you back to Seattle? For sure, and and I'm also I'm finally I think after 30 years of having drug policy set by politics and ideology and fear, that uh, we wanted to see what does the science say about what the best way is to deal with people who are, are affected by this. And what we know as addiction is defined is it's a medical problem. It's and it's a real thing, and and it's being studied, and it. it the definition of addiction is compulsive use despite negative consequences. And the prosecution of people is a negative consequence. And we realize now that we can't punish people out of this disease that's defined by resistance to punishment. Right. You've been a, a part of the prosecution service for a long time, as you mentioned there. How have you seen things change during that time? You talked about the politicization of the approach. That was, I guess, what we know, what we call the war on drugs. Uh, what have you seen as a result of the war on drugs during your time there? 
Well, for sure, in the late 80s and throughout the 90s, even in the aughts, uh, we were punishing people with a very strict uh, sentencing guideline. So if you sold $5 worth of cocaine or heroin or methamphetamine, you'd do a two-year sentence. And then if you did it again, you'd do four years and six years. And so we were putting a lot of people uh, in prison for a long time for really subsistence-level dealing. Everybody who uses drugs deals at some point or another to make... Their, their daily dose cheaper. Uh, and what it did, it had devastating impacts on the communities of color that were most impacted. It was a grossly disproportionate crime. And across America, 60% of people prosecuted for drug crimes were people of color. Uh, and so it, it, and it really drove a wedge between law enforcement and, and those communities that they were trying to help. So I, I think what I'm, I'm trying to do, and it's a slow process to, to steer the ship is to steer it toward a, a scientific and medical uh, uh, answer instead of just a, a judicial system answer. And we know that, that what happens, what works for people who are in the grips of addiction is to make a connection with somebody who is there to help them. And it's a long, hard road and you need to have social workers and case managers there. But that's much more effective in my view than having police officers in jail cells. Right. And you've got a personal connection here as well because because your sister struggled with addiction, didn't she? Yeah, and I've, I've told the story not because my family is different, but because my family is very typical. I mean, last year in America, 72,000 people died of drug overdoses. And you imagine the the ripple of grief throughout families and friends and circles of people. It's a huge deal. And, and my own uh, younger sister had a about a 20-year battle with heroin. And I, you know, for a while, because I knew what she was doing, and she was hanging out with drug users and drug dealers, and I was the prosecutor. And so we kind of were estranged. But one day I did take her into a, a clinic in, in town and they were able to get her uh, into buprenorphine, uh, which is the medication-assisted treatment that takes away that daily craving. And when she got on buprenorphine, my little sister Shelly, all of a sudden she was a different person. She didn't have to spend all day figuring out how to get heroin so she wouldn't get sick. Uh, she could start to work on other aspects of her life. And so she did end up uh, uh, dying uh, about a year and a half ago and it wasn't from an overdose, so she won't show up on one of those statistics, but her health was ravaged from decades of, of abuse and she, her body couldn't fight off a simple infection. But having seen what millions of families see up close in mean, a front row seat to addiction, you know, did change my view in the sense that, you know, what, what my little sister needed wasn't a jail cell, wasn't a set of handcuffs, it was somebody to help her and to come alongside. And, and for opioids particularly, we do have some promising medication-assisted treatment and when you're on that, it reduces your chance of mortality by half. And so why not? Why not make it easy for people to get buprenorphine and methadone? And so that's been the strategy in Seattle now for the last couple of years is to have really a, a no barrier thing. If you, if you show up and say, I'm interested in methadone or buprenorphine, we can get you that the same day that you ask for it. And that's the strategy that we're going uh, full tilt on. But in your role as a prosecutor, you also announced, what was that, about a year ago, that you said you will no longer prosecute cases involving less than one gram of drugs. And that even includes, like, cocaine and heroin. Yes, it's just cocaine, heroin, methamphetamine are the big ones. And, and here, here's what really happens when, when you prosecute people for possession of tiny amounts of drugs. And really, it's their daily dose, right? They got caught before they could use it that day. Uh, it, it took us close to a year to resolve those cases, 
They were filed months after the arrest. The police, it wasn't a priority for the police. They'd send it to us when they got around to it. We'd prosecute it when we got around to it. And so people didn't show up for court because they never heard about the court date. And then they'd get arrested on a warrant. And then they'd get held in jail for a couple of weeks. And they'd come down and plead guilty to a gross misdemeanor, but with no offer of help along the way because our court system at that level wasn't built to offer help. So I, I thought, well, let's at least stop doing the harm that we know we're doing to people who have a medical disease. And let's maybe that puts some pressure on the rest of the community to get ready to build up a, a response, an apparatus of help that can uh, help people do less harm to themselves and, and thus less harm to the community. So, you know, it, 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 we've been able to expand a program that we've had here now for nine years called the Law Enforcement Assisted Diversion Program, or LEAD, L-E-A-D. And what that does is just gives the police officer a tool when they find somebody who's got a small amount of drugs, rather than take him to jail and start this very long and expensive due process trail, they can call for a case manager who within an hour will show up at the police station, take over with this person, and begin to work with them on a, in a harm reduction format, meaning meeting them where they are in their addiction, mm -hmm. helping them with what they need today to get better. I mean, this is a humanitarian crisis, and what I saw in Vancouver was was really remarkable to me. I, I was not prepared for what I saw. Um, and, and the people up there are doing tremendous work, uh, just trying to keep people alive every day. And, and I think at some point, the, the work on the streets has to be focused on keeping people alive, as opposed to punishing people, because punishing people really it has no scientific basis uh, as a way to help people out of addiction. Dan, how is this going over, though, uh, among the public there in Seattle? This is a very dramatic change, right, in the approach to drugs and all of those issues of the last 30, 40 years. So how is this going over with people? Well, you know, not everyone likes change. Um, people are... In they say that the two things people don't like are change and the way things are. And so I think that's true for drug policy, too. It just people are afraid of drugs, they're fearful, it's scary. Uh, and so they're comfortable with the notion that we could just somehow, if we just put people in, in front of a judge, that that would solve their drug problem. Uh, but I think people are waking up to it because of the, the multiple millions of families that have had this personal experience like I had. Watching a loved one struggle, we know what it takes. I mean, it's not rocket science. It's, it's social science, so it's much harder than rocket science. But it just takes a, an army of social workers with resources and case managers and an understanding that we can help people get better. We can help people do less harm to themselves. Uh, and the first thing we need to do, though, is stop doing harm to them through the, the criminal legal system. Interesting. Dan, thank you so much for your time on this today. My pleasure. Dan Satterberg, he's a prosecutor in King County in Seattle.